thank you, Heavenly Father, for this time together. We love you. We cherish our time together. We are grateful and thankful that we can do this. We can be the church. And so thank you for all that's been said and shared earlier. And as we sung, Lord, that we have really wanted just to reach out and just minister to you. We just want to love on you. We are just so appreciative of who you are. And so, Lord, help us today as we begin to ravel a little bit more into this book, Father, that you would show us what you see for us. As uh, Nellie rightly said, that we want to know how we can apply uh, the teachings of this book, Father, the information, the instruction, the inf inspiration to our very uh, personal lives, but also to our corporate fellowship. And we pray this in your precious and wonderful name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Okay, on the slide you'll see that we are going to be, I don't know how many weeks we're going to do this. As I said, uh, we could make this shorter, we can make this longer, but I'm really wanting to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and just getting a sense of what, what He will uh, want us to do and say. Uh, I won't read so much about the stats, just to note that there's 95 verses, so it's not a long book or a big book to read, and so it won't take too long. Uh, I'm not sure how long that would be in time. It could be a 30-minute read. For some, it could be an hour read, depending on where you want to go. But make no mistake, do not dismiss this book as just a, another book or something to be read out or grab a verse here and there. This is a powerful, powerful book. And I shared last week that it changed my life, this particular book and the verses in this particular chapter of chapter 1 that we haven't even got there yet. I don't know when we'll get there, but there's some things in there that I'll tell you what we are going to look at. And some of you are going to find it very challenging. Can I just throw it out there? Um, so please keep coming back, but you're going to find this challenging, and I'm going to be faithful to the Word of God in this. And so we are going to learn, essentially, as you see in this book, that the central theme, I believe, is how to experience the fullness of life in Christ Jesus. So Paul is writing to a church. Paul is in prison. Okay, he's under house arrest, he's not happy in the sense of his present circumstances, but we see something shift with this man of God. When I say shift, this is who he is. We, we glean in and we learn a little bit about who Paul is. This letter teaches us a lot about who Paul is, if any book. I think they all do, but this one has some very significant insight. We learn that Christ is our all in all. We sang that in the first song. Uh, the Christ is our all in all. And we're going to keep un unpacking that as we go. Christ has everything that you and I need, not what we want, but what we need. We live in a society that wants, 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 and we're going to learn how, what do we need? What is God leading and showing us in this? So I invite you to join the journey with me. Uh, there's some interesting information in this book as well as we, we look through it. And uh, last week I spent a little bit on that, so I don't want to uh, double up too much. But can I just encourage you, read it slowly. Read four or five verses and, and just stop and, and ask, Lord, what are you saying to me in this? What is the application for my life? Right now, we're just in the introduction. We're just still in the few verses where Paul is just introducing, uh, setting the scene, and also uh, really, in a sense, thanksgiving. This is, this is where we go before he goes into this magnificent prayer, okay, in, in verse 9. 
and wait until we get there. I think that's going to be next week if I keep uh, getting through this <laughs> idea. So the book of Colossians will be of great value, as we heard before, only if you put it into practice. And just like we heard before, uh, it's exactly what a Christian is. It's someone who actually is following Jesus, not in their head, with ideas, but actually there's a physical fellowship happening. And so I encourage you to let's keep doing this. I thought of Cameron, just in, in the sense of a, a theme uh, for this particular chapter, and I think really what Paul is trying to say, Paul really came up with the Nike idea. Let's just go with that. And he, this book is about know it and do it. Don't just fluff about, know it, and if you know it, then you live it, you do it. And so we're going to look at that in the next few moments together. The key verse is Colossians 2, 9 and 10, and we'll be uh, looking at that. I would just like to even just, let's have a look at this. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human form or bodily form. That sets the scene for what is said next. So that you are also complete through your union. It's a continuation. So that you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Church, this is what we need to understand, who we are in Christ. And this is why he is laying out this information. There were teachers, false teachers. There was different ideas and philosophies going on around about society. And in the midst of it all, uh, excuse me, in the midst of it all, uh, Paul was concerned. Now, he was very delighted, and we're reading really about him just thanking them and, and celebrating them. But obviously, he heard that he needed enough to, to write a letter in response, just not only to make sure, but to set the tone right. So why study the book of Colossians? Because it is perhaps the most Christocentric book in the Bible. In other words, its sole focus is on Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus, the man, Jesus, uh, who is a God. And so it really helps us to, to fine-tune this. Remember, this is the section of theology, of our belief, everything that we think and, and what we... We are the products of what we believe. We're the products of what we think. And so when we step it out, it is what we're seeing uh, people doing as a result of what they believe. If you believe you are worthless, then you will think worthless. You will act worthless. You will behave worthless. If you, if you think you're un, unlovable, then you will also treat people with a sense of unloveness. And so there's this thing that happens in our brokenness, but also in our understanding of who we are. And this is what... We, we read. And so the first two chapters, as you'll see in the chart, deal with the theology of it, the belief structure, and then we deal with the behavior in the last two. Uh, I'm not going to read all the scriptures out, but remember last week we looked at, for those have a listen on the website, uh, Facebook page, but we, we looked at the knowing the will of God, knowing the call of God. And I, I would ask you to continue to ask God, if you don't know what that is, you need to pray, you need to seek God about that. You need to ask, Lord, what is it that you have me to do? I have gifts, I have talents, I have abilities. How would you want me to use these for you, for your kingdom? I think that's one of the most powerful things you could ever do. And uh, be prepared for whatever you sense and feel God may say back to you on that. Romans 12, one we looked at uh, discovering God's will, and 
uh, good, acceptable and perfect will. Uh, Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you both to will and act according to your good, his good pleasure. Can I just encourage you that the will of God and the fulfillment of the kingdom are not inseparable. They're one and the same. And so the more that we understand as a church folk what, our, what is the will of God for us as a church, what the will of God is as, for, for us as, as individuals or as families, then we're able to see the kingdom of God expand to do the thing that it was destined to achieve. You've got to remember, we've got the greatest source of influence that we have for any organization or any group. We have God. Come on, there's nothing greater than having God behind you. What's the saying? One plus God is a majority. And, you know, knowing that God is with you and, and walking through the journey. Anyway, we're going to look at now understanding the will of God to now understanding the grace. We sang about that this morning as well. There's a sense where we need to understand. If you're talking to a group of people, if I was going to walk with someone about their discipleship, how to follow Jesus, is one is know that you are loved, know that you are called, but then start to unravel this grace thing. Why? Because what will happen very quickly is that you and I will fall into a works trap. We'll start to do things for our salvation. We'll start to practically outlive in the sense of trying to fulfill our, our sense of faith uh, in, in Christ when really it's not how it should work. And so we're going to learn a little bit about this. And so if you're talking with someone, know who you are in Christ and know the grace of God which sets you free. Know the liberty that he has given us. I think the church over the years has, has done a great disjustice that we, we talk about grace, but we really don't live it out. We don't understand it. And I feel that then that's why there's a miscommunication and this gap between uh, Christians and, and non-Christians. So there's some lessons that we need to pay attention to. And this is clearly what Paul was honing in on. And so we need to understand we are saved by grace. Ephesians reads in 2.8, uh, I don't know, some will be on the screen, some will not be. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves, in other words, it's not your own doing. You cannot be saved. It's not our response. It's our response to God, but not in us. It's not in aid of us. We cannot be saved other than that be a gift and a grace act of God. It is a gift of God, not of works, that no man shall boast. And so grace helps to bring humility, appreciation. Grace produces a natural response of growth within us as we follow Christ. I've seen people struggle with this particular grace if they've come from somewhere where there's been lots of rules, lots of do's and don'ts. Don't do this and don't do that. Some, some groups of, uh, of, of beliefs hold, hold to adhering to doing so many things to effectively uh, produce your salvation. And we don't believe that that should be the case. And so we need to lay this foundation. Now let's look at verse 2. To the saints, and we heard that this morning, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, who are Colossi, uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. Let's learn this grace. Grace is terribly misunderstood and defining it sufficiently is notoriously difficult. Some of the most detailed theological works that I've looked at in textbooks do not offer really a great concise 
definition of term. Someone has proposed that the acronym of grace, G-R-A-C-E, is God's riches at Christ's expense. That's not too bad, but still it falls short of a proper theological definition. One of the best definitions of grace is usually three words, and it's God's unmerited favour. And I think that's the simple version of it. But there's, there's a little bit more with that. But I think that's the way we need to remember. It's undeserved. It, it's, it's gracious. God's unmerited favor. His abiding favor. His abiding unmerited presence. And life starts with grace. Relationships ebb and flow because of grace. And discipleship even starts with the sense of identification of grace. Where there is no grace... There is breakdown in relationship at various levels. So this word grace is chariz, and it means, uh, it comes from the same word as kara, which is joy, and kario, which is to rejoice. So you can get the sense chariz, uh, grace means, in the sense of courses, rejoicing. And so there should be a sense of evidence, of, of joy flowing from within us, because grace is evident. In every circumstance, whatever we're going through, we are constantly living in an atmosphere of receiving grace from God. But we've got to think about it. We've got to remind ourselves about it at times. Sometimes we forget how truly amazing is this grace. We know the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Doesn't it just, isn't that not grace, the sweetest sound, the, the sweetest word? It is powerful. It is amazing. It is liberating. The concept of grace is completely unique to the Bible. Where other religions may talk about ideas and facets and, of tweaking grace, uh, the Bible uh, is, is simply and purely about grace. No other religion on the face of the earth teaches grace. W. Tozer, and I apologize, I actually thought these were in the slides. Apology, I just realized this morning. W. Tozer expanded the idea of this of saying, grace is the good pleasure of God. That inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. Isn't that so true? Grace allows us to receive from God what we didn't deserve. Burkhoff uh, is more to the point when he says grace is the unmerited operation of God in the heart of man, effected through the agency of the Holy Spirit. So there's some thoughts for you. I apologize, I could put them on the Facebook page. So the key word here is to get in our minds is unmerited, friends. Unmerited grace, completely undeserved and therefore leads to conclusion that grace in essence is a free gift given to us by God through Jesus. Church, Paul was wanting to make sure to a group of people he'd never met that with all the teachings and the ideas that they were starting to re-come up with, with law and do this and don't do this, and all the structured thinking and concepts that were going on, this was a real threat. And Paul wants to get this as a foundational principle, a cornerstone principle of what needs to happen. So let's have a little bit more look at this. Only when we come to the same understanding of grace, scriptures teach us that we can truly be thankful. It's hard because I'm a task thinker. I think in terms of task, relationship and task. Generally, we're all wired that way, but it ebbs and flows. And so I'm very task orientated. And so that can be uh, where, where works and doing things can, can be an effort of, 
of uh, not only encouragement to myself and to other people, but it can be a way I can start to think about doing things and stepping things out as a sense of uh, my value. And so we need to be very careful that that's not how Jesus sees it. Jesus sees us that he has reached out, he's called you by name, he's under, as we understand through Paul, he's laid out a foundation that you are called. As Paul was highlighting the calling, he's emphasizing not for his own life, but also for the lives of those who listen. This is powerful. Know who you are. We, we haven't spent a lot of time on that other than to get this. There's, there's a lot more that happens in the later chapters. Know who you are. Understand the grace that has been given to you. And then we go to where Paul goes next. What does he do? He talks about being thankful. So this is the verses that we're looking at. Paul is thankful. He's praying. Look at this in verse 3. We give thanks to God our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. We may look at this a little bit next week, but let's just be, if you don't know this, you're going to know it now. Paul was an intercessor. I tell you what, if you're ever going to go in a corner and you want to have someone who wants to pray for you, find a great, faithful intercessor. And if Paul was around, you would want to grab Paul because he is a man who knew, is a man who knew how to pray. We give thanks to God and our Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. When someone comes up to you and they say, thank you, we thank God for you, I tell you what, that is the highest compliment you can receive. Take it. <laughs> Take it. Just, just say, I receive it. Oh, don't be, don't be the prideful, pride opposite of humble. You know, oh, thank you, brother. No, you mean someone else. No, take it. In other words, pride looks humble, but it's not. Okay? There's pride and hum humble. There's a lot of humility. Someone said a lot of hum and a lot of bull. But anyway, let's keep going. Sometimes it's easy to take everything for, we have for granted. Our minds can get so wrapped up in the struggles that we have in life, in doing this and doing that, that we forget to be thankful. So wouldn't you understand that if I know God's called me, I've understood now this world, this kingdom of grace, how amazing this grace is. Now wouldn't I, wouldn't that lead to the next step of the next step would be thankful. I think as Christians, we should be noted as people who are thankful people. Not arcing and barking and being critical about this or that. We should be people who expose this sense of gratitude and graciousness in our own hearts and lives and being thankful for everything that is happening. Being thankful that we can walk and move and breathe. Being thankful for the very little uh, issues in our lives. Need to be thankful. So often when we pray, we find the needs are piling up uh, and we're praying for things that we haven't got rather than saying thank you for what I do have. How about praying this week? Lord, every day I'm going to be thankful. I know a family who used to sit down at tea time and they would share and they would all talk around the time and go, hey, okay, listen, can you just tell me what, what's one thing you can give thanks for today? Ask the children, what's one thing you could think of thanking Jesus for today? And it could be really, it's funny, it's funny. Thank you for my toy, you know what I mean? Thank you for my iPad, I don't know, you know. But, but it's learning how to be, show and express gratitude and thankfulness. Gratitude intensifies the soul desire of dependency upon God. And we learn this in fruit communion. Have you heard? Have a look at this. What does your witness say about you? 
For we have heard, now Paul mentions this four times in the book, Colossians. Four times he mentions, we have heard of your faith of Jesus Christ. We have heard of your love for the saints and because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you have heard the word of the truth of the gospel. There's so much in here, and I'm going to unpack this very, very briefly. This is a description of a church. I believe this is the mantra of the Colossi Church. I believe Paul was really laying out some instructional information here about what the church should look like. It had a certainly a special kind of fellowship that narrowly alluded to this morning. There was certainly a sense of fellowship within the saints. But did you notice how Paul says he heard something? He heard of their faith. He is not able to see them, but their actions, their lifestyle, their grace being evident in their lives was witnessed and it was shared to him. I think this is purely and clearly amazing. Paul is highlighting three qualities of the church in Colossae. Love includes speaking truth, doesn't it? Love includes challenging error. We have to do that. Some people don't feel that's what it may be, but sometimes we're speaking things because we, is an act of love, because we love them. There's a sense of instruction, a sense of warning. Paul is hearing about their faith, their love, and their hope. And these are the three marks of a solid church. These are the marks of a church that we're learning through Paul, who is writing and being thankful while he's in prison and he's thinking about them. He's thinking about all the good things that are going on. That is difficult. Even for me, that can be when things are going wrong. To be thankful is hard, folks. It is hard. Paul is showing us what he's seeing here, their faith. The first mark of a mature fellowship is faith. The author of Hebrews tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Matthew Henry said, faith opens the door of the soul to receive Christ. Faith admits him and submits to him. I believe it's so true. Hallelujah. That's good news. So faith, by faith, the church gathers together and they are believing that God is going to do great things. They will experience renewal, revival, and blessing. But the church that gathers, it doesn't expect faith things. If there's no faith, and I have a simple rule, the church should experience, you should come today and you should leave experiencing two things other than the wonder of trying to learn and, and get closer to Jesus in the best way possible. You must better leave with faith you must be able to live with life today. You must sense that that gets stirred up within you. That's what happens. And I think when we have an atmosphere of faith, life, and we talk about hope, then you know that you're in the right place. Hallelujah. I think we are in the right place. Can someone say amen? Thank you. There's nearly, you get a chocolate for being the first person to yell that out so loud. Amen. amen. <laughs> okay, Roger wants a chocolate as well. And there's probably a few up there as well. In 1 Corinthians, Paul lists three graces, but he lists them in different order. Think about this. He says this, and it's not on the screen. And now abide a faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is what? Thank you, love. Isn't that interesting? That's in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. He puts hope in second position and lists love as last. And the reason for that is that love is eternal. See, in heaven, we won't need faith and we won't need hope. Therefore, now. 
That's what we need to, to champion us on and to live through the mundane and the life and the struggles and the battles of this life and the challenges and everything else that is compacted in this sum of your life and my life. But love, love will be experienced because we won't need faith to believe and hope that he is who he is because we'll be in his presence, the constant manifest presence, the Shekinah presence of Almighty God. So he focuses on love. Love your enemies. Jesus challenged this, this sense of, of understanding. You have heard what it's been said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. I always thought, when I first read this many years ago, I thought, I must have enemies, do I? What we do. We'll have people who will like us at various levels, and there'll be some people who purely do not like you. So you pray for them. You don't pray against them. <laughs> Get them, God. Get them. No, that's praying against them. You pray for them. You pray favor on them. Love your enemies. Have a look at hope. Through hope, we talk in terms of our hope, the expression of faith. And we did some of this just the last number of weeks, carried in our hearts for a better tomorrow, a tomorrow. I didn't say that right. Tomorrow that no matter what happens, God is good. I love it. So thirdly, we understand that uh, a solid fellowship will have hope in its heart. The church will have Faith, expression of faith, it'll have love that we hear, that he's hearing about how they're looking after each other, how they're connecting, how they're building up each other. But then there's hope as well. He's reading this, and I believe this is foundational to really a lot of churches. In fact, any church, this is what it looks like. And Paul has really laid it up, because if you don't get this, we don't get this, don't worry about the rest of the verses, don't worry about the next part in the prayer, forget it. You're going to read this, you're going to get this in your heart, we're going to get this, and then we can deal with it. We can move on to the next step. You know, in exams, you've got to, you've got to be able to pass the subject before you go to the next subject, or you repeat it. And so we need to make sure we get this, we pass this, we understand this, before we get to the next stage, because it builds on, and it builds on, and there is a lot here. And I'm going through it fairly quickly. Uh, so what do we need to do as a church? What does the church look like? It's a church that knows who it is. It's a church that has identity. As believers, it's reflected in our personal lives, individual lives, but then corporately we come together, we know who we are as a church. Okay, we, we live in grace. We're not about law, about this is how it should be done, and this is, you know, that's, that's law. Do this, don't do this, touch this, don't touch that. And we get caught up, and Galatians really deals with that issue of law. And, and to be honest with you, Peter was quite, Peter, Paul was quite upset with Peter about the law uh, and, and just his behavior with things. And we'll look at that. Paul wanted to buttonhole Peter. So let's just, uh, we'll move forward with that at another time. Paul links these three graces for believers. Faith of the past, and we looked at that. Love for the present and hope for the future. And the cautions, though they had good points, and they were sound in their faith, and they had a fundamental strong belief, and they acted and showed love to each other. Paul says that this is the hope that they have, which is laid up for heaven. It's still a, a decision we have to make. We still have to understand there is a decision. 
Verse 5, of which you've already heard the word of truth of the gospel which has come to you. You know, it just, we could just stop there for a lot and look at this, but we're going we're gonna to briefly go, to, we're going to come back to this in the weeks. But the word of truth, the gospel, the truth, laid in truth, which has come to you. In the, in the understanding of this, it actually means to become fully experienced and acquainted with. So the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you, is not just something you are hearing and going and doing something else. The gospel comes to you and it transforms you. And that's what Paul was writing. He doesn't want you to be informed. He doesn't want you and I to be informed about having more knowledge. He wants us to have heart knowledge, life knowledge, faith knowledge, hope knowledge, love knowledge. And that sets the scene for what happens next and where we go next. If we don't get this, as I said... I think this is the challenge. We don't get what Paul is trying to articulate. The believers don't get this. They don't get to move into the next level in that sense. Not of, not of, uh, um, of the expression of their faith in those levels, but in the sense of their understanding of what God is revealing to this. Um, thank God for Ephorus. Uh, Paul calls him a dear fellow servant. Have you noticed Paul very rarely speaks ill of anyone? Paul, Paul has an amazing capacity to honour people. And he wasn't threatened. And I, we see that in his letters. And in this letter particularly, I think there's up to eight references of different people mentioned. And so Paul, Paul was happy to include people. Paul was happy to celebrate people. And so we get to see this when he talks about his dear friend, who we believe uh, through his ministry to the Ephesus church, uh, this guy, Ephesus, got saved at the church and then becomes the leader now of this house church, this Colossi church. And so Paul is uh, just acknowledging him and representing him and, and uh, acknowledging his great work. So know the call, understand the grace, be, always be thankful, look at your life, what does your witness say, and make a commitment to stay true. These are the thoughts that we're reading. I love in Romans 5 too, it says, for because of our faith, he has brought us into this place of highest privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to actually becoming all that God has in mind for us to be. That's in the Living Bible translation. I think that that's my, one of my personal favorite, favorite verses. Because of our faith, he's brought us into this place of highest privilege. Do you know you're privileged? You have privilege all over you. You have love all over you. You have been loved on by Jesus and he continues to love on us so the answer that Paul is trying to set up here the the thought that he's trying to provide is that in everything we are everything that we become put Christ first put him first and how do you know if you're putting Christ first because you you you're walking in the confidence confident obedience of knowing who you are you understand the grace that you have received, and so you're not saying, well, look at me, how good am I? But you're saying, how good is God? And then because of that, we're producing works, and we'll look at that. We're producing fruit, okay, that is keeping with repentance. And so we'll look at that as we go by. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ who are at Colossae. That's, that's us. And he's writing to us. We are in Christ, friends. No matter what is going on, we are safe in Christ. No matter what we hear, no matter what goes on, we need to remind ourselves through the troubles, 
the challenges, the difficulties, the battles, the tests. We are in Christ. I am in Christ. And when I know that I'm in Christ, it, it means I'm prepared to face whatever. How do we become in Christ? Well, we don't become in Christ just gathering like this, really. We don't become because we, we, we're just hanging around people who of the church or the church folk. Or, no, no, we become in, in Christ when we give our lives to Jesus. When there's a personal surrender of our heart and our life to Jesus every single day for the rest of our lives. Where we say, Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. I'm here to live for you. You have a lot of the time. Help me to live it truly in the grace that you have given it to me. Help me to live it with faith. Help me to live it with the love that you have given and bestowed upon me how to live it. Help me to live it with the faith that I can demonstrate because of who you are. And we need to accept that. We need to accept that. We're going to pray right now together. So let's do that together. Are you ready? Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we commit ourselves to the person you have called us to be. I ask you to help us to be filled with the Holy Spirit that we will know your wisdom and leading. May help us, Lord, to contend for the kingdom of God, that you would help us to extend and build that which you are extending and building. Thank you, Father, that your kingdom's rule will come. You are my God, you are my Savior, you are King of my life, and we give our lives to you afresh today to use our lives as tokens, Father, of grace and the abundant blessing that they can be in your name we pray. Amen.